That was awesome. The worship this morning has been on par. It's like I wish I played baseball. It's like they have a t-ball set up here and it's ready to hit a home run. And uh, man, it's great when we come to the house of God and our hearts are warmed up and drawn into the presence of God through the worship and the singing, through the special music. And it's just an, an awesome thing to be able to come to a church where God is lifted. His name is lifted high and praised. And so we're thankful this morning that you're here. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, many of you have asked, uh, you haven't seen Pastor Rands this morning, and where is he? Uh, he was enjoying India so well that he decided to stay in Mumbai for a couple extra days, and uh, his flight got delayed, and so he was not able to get out of India. And so he was supposed to, he said he was leaving on Sunday, which is today, and he would be back tonight, which is still Sunday. So I'm not sure how all that happens in 30 hours of flight, but he's supposed to leave today and get back today. So he'll, he should be back this evening. And uh, just pray for his safety, his flights. Um, he has a flight from Mumbai to Paris, which is 10 hours, a couple hour layover in Paris, and then a flight from Paris to Detroit, which is 10 hours. And he is stuck in the really small seats. And so he may not be able to move by the time he gets home, but uh, I'm sure he will be glad to be home and to be back in America, back to our church. All hail King Jesus. This morning, we are going to be talking about God. We're talking about the greatness of God. We're talking about courage. As I thought about this morning, about courage, the first thing that popped into my mind was the Wizard of Oz and the lion, the cowardly lion. Courage. We all need courage. We all need that thing that, is, that rises up in us, that in a difficult and tumultuous time, we need courage to stand. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about having courage in a culture of compromise. Last week, we talked about our students. We talked about how we as a church want them to grow and mature. And we as a church together corporately come around our students and we lift them up and encourage them and strengthen them. And this morning, we're not going to be talking just about students. Uh, I'm not here this morning as the youth pastor. I'm here this morning uh, to help and encourage all of us to live in a culture of compromise. This after, uh, this, earlier this week, I saw somebody with the shirt that says, Coexist. Uh, all the symbols from different religions. And they just want us all to get together and they want us all to, to have harmony and peace. But the problem is that the Bible teaches us that there is only one way. There aren't multiple ways. There isn't, you can do your thing and I'll do my thing and hopefully we'll end up at the same place. No, the Bible teaches us that there is one way and that is Jesus Christ. And so I... As a Christian, the Bible tells me, I want you, I want you to, we're going to look at several passages this morning, and I, want, I just want you to see, so warm your fingers up, whatever you need to do to get them moving, but I want you to see this morning that as a Christian, our job is not to be confrontational. Our job is not to be a jerk. That's not what we are as Christians. People should not know, what we're, should not know us for what we're against. People should know us for what we are for. They should know that we are for Jesus Christ and we are for this word and what this Bible teaches, I stand on. And I don't have the opportunity and I don't have the privilege to say I disagree with that, so therefore I don't believe it. That's not my job. I'm not God. God is God and God tells me through his word where I'm supposed to stand. And so this morning I want you to see a couple of verses. If you take your Bible and look at Ephesians chapter number 6. 
Ephesians chapter number 6. In verse number 10, I want you to follow down through this passage. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Our job as Christians is to prepare for the spiritual battle that we're going to face. And in that, we put on the armor of God. And when we can't do anything else, God says, stand. Stand. Stand strong. And so as a Christian, my job isn't necessarily to go out and to pick fights because I'm not fighting the people around me. I'm fighting the spiritual battles around me. And I'm going to put on the armor of God that's going to help me to defeat these spiritual battles. And when I can't, God says the only thing that he asked for me to do is to stand. But I want you to see something else. Look at Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. If you have a cramp in your fingers, just take a break, stretch them out. Romans chapter 12, I want you to see in verse number 18. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So on one hand, God is telling us to put on the armor of God because we are in a battle. We are in a fight. And on the other hand, God is telling us, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. So how do we do that? How do we live peaceably with all men? How do we live peaceably with a world that is coming at us and, and going against everything that we believe? Yet we're supposed to fight. How do we fight nice? How do we fight in such a way that the world is not pushed away and repelled from Jesus and Christianity and the God that we worship, yet they understand that we are not moving from the position that we're standing in? It seems to be that there's a battle. And I, and I thought as I was looking at Romans, I thought to a, uh, a, a commentary that I had read years ago by Martin Luther and if you know Martin Luther in the 1500s, he was a Catholic and he began reading and studying the book of Romans. And for him, the book of Romans was a pivotal book because as he studied Romans, he understood and began to see that law and grace and forgiveness and how a Christian should really live. And in April or in, uh, in early uh, 1500s, uh, Martin Luther, he nailed 95 thoughts or the 95 theses to the church door. And they were not meant to spark the Reformation. They were just meant to spark conversation. But through that whole process, Martin Luther and his 95 theses, they changed the, the scope of spiritual life. They brought in, 18, in April 8th of 1521, they brought Martin Luther to a, a diet of Worms or a council of, of Worms where they met 
and they stood and they told Martin Luther that you had to step back from what you have said. And I wanted to read this to you because I feel like that this is where we are today. Culture is pushing in on us saying, all right, that's okay if you want to believe that. That is fine. Believe that. But do not push that into culture. Do not push that on me. But we are going to push our agenda on you. And you can't allow your Christian values to push back on that. You can have those personally, but don't allow them to go any, anywhere in, in, your, in your workplace. Don't allow them to go anywhere in your, in your community. Don't allow them to go in your political views. Just keep them to yourself. Martin Luther said this, Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cognate reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. What the world needs, even though they don't know it, is they need Christians who will stand and say, I cannot do otherwise. I cannot go against what scripture teaches me. I cannot go against what my conscience teaches me. I cannot go against what God has laid out throughout the ages and said, thus saith the Lord. I cannot go against that. And what happens, happens. But here I stand. And what happens when we have adults and parents and grandparents that take that stand is we have young people. We have friends and neighbors who look at that and say, you know what, I may not agree with them, but I cannot deny their courage of culture trying to change them. This morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter number three. We were in Daniel chapter two last week, Daniel chapter three this week. And this story in Daniel chapter 3 is one of these stories that gets me wound up. Because I see in Daniel chapter 3, I'm just absolutely mesmerized by these three. And they're not young men anymore at this point. When we started in Daniel chapter 1, they were teenagers. But by Daniel chapter 3, they're no longer teenagers. These are young men. These are young adults. These are men that have decided to stand. And I want, to, want you to follow along with me in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse number 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Again, last week we saw how King Nebuchadnezzar was, 
was just driven to anger and he loved cutting people into pieces. And as we'll look at the end of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar again threatens to cut people into pieces. And I don't know what it was with him and chopping people up, but he loved it. This man, I need you to understand that this man was the ultimate authority in the world at this time. So when Nebuchadnezzar brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of him, it was not just like they're going in front of their boss. They were going into the presence of the one who controlled their life. And they had to make a decision. But we, to catch you up to where we are, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 3, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. You know those days when you just, we look forward to now, not the days where you walk outside like this morning, you look out the window and you go, man, it looks beautiful out there. You step out and it's like, oh, what in the world? That is not what it looks like. This day in Daniel chapter three, verse number one was a day that was a beautiful day. The sun was shining, Nebuchadnezzar was happy, and he could not wait for this event to happen because this event was a great event. At the end of Daniel chapter number two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and Daniel interpreted that dream and showed him this, this tower, this uh, statue that was, going, that was in his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to build this statue. And so this statue was not just any statue. This statue was a beautiful statue covered in gold. This statue stood 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and it was put out in the plain of Dura. Nebuchadnezzar had this statue put there, and he said, if you, if you think back to the dream, the head in the statue was completely gold, and it represented Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar was so full of himself that he did not just make a head of gold, he made the entire statue of gold and said, you're not going to determine my days, I am going to determine my days. And he said, I am going to be, make the statue completely of gold. And he brought out all of the rulers, all of the governors, all of the mayors of the cities, all of the leaders, all of the judges, he brought them all out to the plain of Dur and he said, today is going to be a celebration. Because you see today, it's not just about the gods that we worship, but it's about worshiping the culture that we live in. And so he had, Nebuchadnezzar had Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all of the other rulers of, of Babylon coming out. And if you remember, Babylon at this time was a beautiful place. It was one of the wonders of the world. As we look back and we see the hanging gardens of Babylon, we know that Babylon was a beautiful place and the imagination of men ran wild at this time and the creativity of men ran wild at this time and they created beautiful things. And so I have to believe that this statue that they created was one of those you look at and you were just in awe. And Nebuchadnezzar brought out all of these people and he said, I'm not asking you to give up your gods I'm asking you to worship the culture that we're in. Now, I want you to notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not deny the king his request to show up. In culture, we think that we have to be an affront to culture. We have to be the rude, and I should never do that. I will never and I'm saying that there are times where we have to do that. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they showed up at the plane. 
They did as culture demanded, as the king demanded them to do. They did because they did not feel that that was an affront to their God. And then with great symphony, Nebuchadnezzar told his players to begin to play. And he said, when you hear the music, when you hear, and he went through the listing of the instruments that were playing, when you hear the music, I need you all to bow and not worship this as a God, worship the culture. And it represented Nebuchadnezzar himself. Nebuchadnezzar had the musicians play. The orchestra started. The musicians played and all of a sudden everybody fell. And Nebuchadnezzar in his pride could not believe the scene. Everyone bowed in his presence. But then there were several men that came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, I hate to tell you this, but there are three men who did not bow. Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage, in verse number 13, demanded that those three men come to his presence. Look at verse number 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Notice the difference here. He's not just, he didn't lump this together as the image was the gods. He said, you don't serve my gods, nor do you worship the culture. Nor do you worship that image. Verse 15, now if ye be ready at what time ye hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast that same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These young men were determined, having to done all, to stand. And what caught me is this. Look at this passage with me. As I read this chapter, I have never noticed this before, but maybe you have. I want you to look at something with me. If you look at verse number five of chapter number three, it says that at what time ye hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship. Look at verse number six. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth. Look at verse number 7. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, and all the people, the nations, and languages fell down and worshipped. Look at verse number 10. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship. 
Verse 11, and whoso falls not down and worshipeth. Look at verse number uh, 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image. Look at verse number 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image? Verse 15. Now if it be ready at this time what ye hear, the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not. Look at verse number 18. If, but if not, we, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image. Look at verse number 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Eleven times the word worship is in this chapter. Do you want to know why Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could stand in a culture of compromise because they worshipped the true God. The heart of worship, the heart of courage is bed into your view of God. If you have a small God... If your God is no bigger than you with just a little bit more power, then you will cave to culture every single time. But if your God is a big God, you will be able to stand. So what is it that caused these young men to be able to stand? Take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4 through 7 is called the Shema. This was a command by God for the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, starting in verse number 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates. Look at verse number 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then you shall say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see, the children of Israel were commanded to teach their children at an early age to have a big view of God. If I were to ask you this morning, can God do anything? We would say yes. But if I ask you what problem is going on in your life today, and you tell me, and I say, can God fix that? 
you would say, I suppose so. Do you have faith that he will? Not really. Why? I don't know that God's interested in me. I don't know that God's powerful enough to handle the problem that I'm dealing with. I understand he could, but I don't know if he can. I don't know if he will. And these parents, they would teach their kids, they would be out at night and they'd say, son, you see those stars? Do you know who created those stars? God. Son, you won't believe this, but there was a time when there was nothing. Nothing existed. And God stepped out onto the edge of nothing and he spoke a word and those stars flung into space. And as we see today, which those uh, in this day they could not see, as we see today images coming back from the Hubble telescope and they show the grandeur of the constellations and the stars and the galaxies that are out there, we stand back and we are amazed. Yet God spoke those words and all of that happened at one time. God, you, son, you see that animal? You know how that animal got here? One time God said, when there were no animals on the face of the earth, God said, let the earth have animals and in God's imagination, in God's creativity, when he spoke those words, animals came forth and they were created and God created them out of his majesty and his glory so that we could appreciate what God can do. Son, you see that rainbow? That rainbow is not just there because the rain passed by. That rainbow is there because God made a promise. And son, when God makes us a promise, he will keep his promise. His promises are true. So when you read something in scripture and you see and you wonder, is this really going to happen? Yes, son, God is going to do something. And when he promises, and that rainbow is a promise to us that he will never flood the earth again. One day, though, son, he is coming back. And when he comes, he will rescue us, but it won't be destroyed by a flood. So every time you see a rainbow, son, remember that God is faithful and true. Son, one of our ancestors, his name was Abraham. And Abraham had a son and his name was Isaac. And Abraham took his son Isaac after, after Isaac was born to him when Abraham was about 100 years old, which is another whole nother story. We won't even get into that. But God did something miraculous in Abraham and Sarah's life. And, and God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. And I know, son, that doesn't make any sense at all. But God had a plan and he was trying to work out his plan. And Abraham said, yes, God, if you if that's what you want. And God and Abraham took his son Isaac and up to the top of a mountain and he built an altar and he laid his son out there and Abraham didn't know what God was going to do. But God said to sacrifice my son and Abraham lifted up his hand to plunge a knife through the heart of his son and God said, stop Abraham. I have provided a lamb to take his place. And son, that lamb is not just a provision for Abraham and Isaac. That lamb was a provision for you and for me. And one day that lamb is going to come and that lamb is going to take my place and your place. And it is a promise, just like the rainbow, that, that, that God will never flood the earth again. That lamb is a promise and that lamb is for you and for me. And you see, son, God is working out a great plan. 
shortly after that, there was a guy by the name of Moses, son. And we came out of, we came out of Egypt. And I know we've never been to Egypt, but we came out of Egypt. We were there for 400 years and God sent this guy, his name was Moses. And I know you've heard stories about him, but he went in and he did 10 plagues in the, within the children, within Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh said, fine, take your people and go. And our people walked out of Egypt without a battle, without anything. We walked out and the worst thing happened. We came up to the Red Sea. And all of the people were wondering, what's going to happen now? What, how are we going to get through this? And they didn't know that God was going to provide a way, but God said, walk forward. And when they did, the Red Sea parted and they walked across on dry land. And they got over into the desert and they were hungry and God gave them quail and manna and they were thirsty and God gave them water from a rock. And son, don't ever worry about the provisions that you have because God promised that if he's going to take care of the animals and the birds, he's going to take care of you. Son, don't ever worry if God's going to fulfill what he promised to you. He will take care of you. He will fulfill your needs. He will give you the things that you need. Don't ever worry about it. And son, there was a, there was a time that the children of Israel finally decided to go into the promised land where we live today. And in, the, in that time, they had to cross the Jordan River and they had been across the Red Sea. So they thought this is going to be easy. We've done it before. But this time God had a different plan. God didn't want them to stand back and watch the sea parted. God said, I want you to do something first. And he said, I want you to step into the water. And as the priest's feet got into the water, all of a sudden the, the Jordan River parted. And he said, this time I want to see you do something first. And so sometimes, son, don't ever think that God's just going to provide a way. Sometimes God asks you to do something. Sometimes God asks you to step out. Sometimes God asks you to do something. And then he will do his part. But son, God will always provide a way. We got into the promised land and all of a sudden this huge city and we were trying to figure out we didn't bring anything with us. We didn't know how we were going to conquer the city. We couldn't get in the gate. We didn't know what was going to happen. And Joshua came to us and he said, God has a plan. And we, we knew, we knew that God had worked and he had had his way. And so we knew that this was going to be awesome. And Joshua told us, you know what the plan is? You're going to walk around the city. And we're like, serious, Joshua? Like, we're just going to walk? Yeah, don't say anything. Don't do anything. They're going to yell at us over the wall. And we're just going to walk around. We're going to go back home. We're going to do that seven days. On the seventh day, you know what we're going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we going to do now, Joshua? We're going to walk around seven times. Ooh, Joshua, that's a big deal. Yeah, seven times. And you know what's going to happen after the seventh time? You're going to turn around and you're going to yell at the wall. Well, that sounds like a good deal, Joshua. Yeah, we're going to turn around and yell at the wall. Not only do they think we're crazy from walking around it, but now they think we're crazy for yelling at the wall. But you know what God's going to do? God's going to make those walls come down flat. And sometimes, son, you don't understand what God has asked you to do. You don't understand the, the path that God has you on. But God has a plan, and God will always work out his plan, and God will provide victory. And Joshua, he was a great man, son. One day, Joshua was in a battle and Joshua asked God for an impossible request. Joshua went to God and said, God, would you make that sun stand still? And the Bible says that God hearkened to the voice of man and there was no day like that day. Son, you get into a bind and you need to pray and ask God for help, I want you to understand, I need you to understand that God will listen to you. 
God wants to hear your voice. And I don't care how crazy the request is. I don't care how difficult you think it is. God wants to hear it. And God can answer your prayers. Years later that we had our first, our second king. And, and that king's name was David. And David, when he was a young boy... He did some amazing things. He learned how to use his sling and he used that sling against a lion and a bear. And he was not afraid of fighting a lion and a bear. But that wasn't the biggest battle that David had. David had a battle against a man named Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. His spear was like a weaver's beam. And David stood before that giant. And he said, you come to me. In the name of your gods, I come to you in the name of God Almighty. I come to the, you in the name of Jehovah God, and he will give you into my hand. And that day, the giant that he was facing was defeated because of the power of God. And so, son, whatever giant you face in your life, realize that there is a God in heaven who will give you the ability to fight that battle and defeat that giant Years later, son, there was a guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was an amazing prophet. Elijah was true to God. And Elijah did some miraculous things throughout his life. But it, the greatest thing that Elijah did was he was able to stand against culture, against 400 prophets of Baal. Elijah was so amazing, son, that he faced these guys and he even threw out jabs at them as they were trying to call fire down from heaven. Maybe your God's on a vacation. Maybe you need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's sleeping and he can't hear you right now. And he kept going at these guys because, because son, Elijah knew that he had a God who could. And Elijah, when it was his turn, he didn't have to do anything miraculous. He didn't have to go out and, and do anything wild and crazy. He simply said, God, would you demonstrate to all of these people that you are the one true God? And he stepped back and fire fell from heaven. And son, fire did not just eat up the animal that was on the altar. The fire ate and devoured the rocks that the altar was made of. And not just the rocks, the fire licked up the barrels of water, the trench of water that was around the altar. And God said, not only can I take the altar and send fire, he said, but I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. And so son, one day when you get to be an adult, and you have a problem in your life, and you have a difficulty, and culture tries to push you into things. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. And this morning, if we are going to live courageous in a culture of compromise, we have to remember who God is. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what problem or difficulty, no matter what situation comes into your life, no matter if you are standing before the king and he threatens to throw you into the furnace, we can stand and we can say, I have a God who is bigger than you. My God is not deterred by the fact that you have a furnace that is heated seven times hotter. It doesn't matter to him. 
My God is not a God who is put off by your demands because we understand that my God is bigger than your God. My God is bigger than you. My God is bigger than what you're demanding of me. My God is the God. My God is Jehovah God. My God is the God that I can lift my hands to and I can praise and I can thank you that God, we know you can, but if you don't, but if you don't, but if you don't, still going to worship you. It's not about just God coming through for us. It's knowing that when God doesn't, that he can. And the reason he doesn't do what we ask him to do is because we are not God. The reason that we want God to do what we want him to do is because we believe we know more than God. God, if you would just fix this, then everything would be okay. And God is standing back and he's saying, no, it won't be because I'm working out a plan. I'm working out praise and honor and glory to you. And by removing them from the fiery furnace would never have allowed them to go through the fiery furnace, which would never have bought, brought praise to God because that's what God is trying to do. God is trying to bring praise to him. This morning... I want to challenge you with three thoughts. Number one, courage looks up. Courage looks up. If we're going to stand in a culture of compromise, we have to look up and realize how big God is. Our God can. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they told that king, King, you can say whatever you want. You can threaten us with whatever you want, but we know that our God can. Today, our God can. We look at things in culture, we look at things in life, we look at the political landscape, and we wonder, God, do you have any idea? And God says, I can, I've got it, don't worry about it, I've got it under control. We pray and we ask and we beg God to move and we ask God to do things, and God says, I've got it. Look up. Not only should we look up, we should stand up. For years, we have been pushed as a Christian culture to sit down. No, it's time to stand up. It's time that we rise as Christians, not to irritate culture, but the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we teach is an irritant to culture because they don't like the idea of exclusivity of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is exclusive. Jesus Christ is the way. And if that irritates culture, then so be it. So be it. I will stand up. Courage speaks up. Courage speaks up. It's time to use our voice. It's time for us, as you look at the headlines today, how long is it before Jesus Christ comes back? How long is it? I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, next week, next year, 20 years from now. I don't know. But as I look at scripture and as I look at the headlines, it is lining up and saying, it's getting close. It's getting close. It's getting close. And when God comes back, 
we will no longer be able to use our voice to influence culture. Courage looks up. Courage stands up. And courage speaks up. Let's pray. Father.